Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken joined as usual by David Hartrick and we've got rather happier faces on today, Dave, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Last week was a thoroughly miserable podcast to do, wasn't it? This is a much better one. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly in terms of the tone, if not in terms of the content. Huddersfield Town 3, Stoke City 1. It was a far better performance in pretty much every department. Not perfect. There was a little bit of riding their look, a little bit of seeing out a few storms defensively but on the whole they did everything that we wanted them to do from this game and everything that we've been asking them to do over the past three games didn't they yeah there's still big areas of improvement we'll come on to but the thing they did was got over the line they simplified they got the right players into the right positions they solved a bit of a midfield issue so yeah you know we'll get into the game and it it, as I said it's not all good there were still quite a few issues there but the most important thing was to get three points on the board wasn't it and to sort of get the season up and running and here we are that's it I mean we said last week that we thought nil nil a boring stalemate nil nil would be genuine progress for Huddersfield Town we, what we kind of wanted to see was them making themselves difficult to beat and actually I'm not entirely sure that they did do that but they were good enough in attack that they got the result regardless as I say with a couple of those slides to look they got the three goals um, killed the game off really well as well there was that moment early on though midway through the first half where things could have gone very differently and you and I don't like to sort of dwell on ifs and buts and hypotheticals too much but that Lee Nichols save from the penalty and Stoke subsequently hitting the post rather than putting it in the net that's a huge moment not just in this game but potentially for the rest of the season wasn't it well also the referee not giving the blatant handball by Tom Lees as well <laughs> um, yeah it was a huge one I saw it's worth just having a little bit of a chat about the penalty actually because I saw a lot of people saying it wasn't a penalty and I think that like unfortunately for me I think the thing is that the referee has to has to award that on what might have happened, not what happened. So I saw a lot of people saying there was barely any contact, a lot of people saying he dived, etc., or ducked his head down. The thing is, Josh Russell's hasn't even looked, so he's got no awareness of where the man is, and it's a high foot. It's Unfortunately, it's it's a penalty. You know, it's, yeah. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with it, but it's definitely a penalty that, and it's always going to be given, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's the rule. You might not like the rule, but you can't blame the referee for interpreting that rule as it's intended to be interpreted. Uh, it, it, yeah, he did win the ball, um, but as you say, there's you know there's a reason that they have those high boot challenges outlawed and as you say, it's because of, of what can happen when players go in with their, their boots that high. And I know people are saying, oh, he's, he's ducking down, so that's why his head's there. It's like, yeah, but his, his, his boot is still chest height 
um, mm. even even if you're sort of looking at it quite generously, and you're ex- I, I, you should be expecting the player to try and win that ball with his head as well. So there's it's the idea is that you know going in with your boot high like that is is reckless play and, and can endanger an opponent. I always think the equivalent for these sort of things is imagine a town player runs into the box and a defender comes over, leaps in two footed at the player's knee but the player is good enough to jump completely out the way of the challenge but unfortunately the ball just rolls harmlessly out of play do you not want the challenge punished just because it didn't connect with him and break his knee in two (laughs) you know it's it's you can't as I said, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with it, but it, it's that's why it the rule is, is there. Yeah, that's why the rule is there. So, but I thought it was a terrific save. I watched it back again mm. this morning. I thought it was a terrific penalty save. He is Lee Nichols. Like you run out of ways to praise him, but you do forget he is a bit of a penalty specialist, isn't he? Yeah, his record on them is is very very good. When we looked at it ahead of the, because everyone was going on about Forest keeper um, and and his record and. When, when I looked at Lee Nichols's record, it, it wasn't far off the record that everyone was singing the high heavens about. It's just that we didn't... Uh, obviously, we saw that penalty shootout at the start of last season, but we, we didn't see him face too many penalties down after that. Um, so it was nice to get that reminder. And good for him. You know, he obviously made that mistake against um, Birmingham, wasn't it? And, you know, as we said at the time, that's Lee Nichols' first mistake, that one. So we're not hammering him for that. He's he's earned the benefit of the doubt on that. But I think for him personally, he'll be delighted to have sort of set that record equal now with that save. Yeah. And then the important thing is Town didn't... There was a little bit of pressure and they didn't collapse or wilt under yeah. it. And I thought what was really good was one of the frustrations we had with Carlos Corbrand's side, even when things were good, was that under pressure, their default setting was to drop deeper and deeper and sort of pack pack the their half with men. And it ended up like just basically creating a bit of a stalemate. But Town then struggled to have a platform to attack, whereas I thought... What was good was the three four three they played allowed them they they didn't drop deep they didn't go timid they kept going um, and you know they went in one nil up at half time and I actually thought it was thoroughly deserved at half time um, despite the penalty and everything I thought Town were were largely the better side and and spent much of that half on the front foot you know the opening ten minutes was as front foot as I've seen Huddersfield Town for quite a while yeah. I- I saw lots of different interpretations of how the game went because Stoke fans were very down on it. Stoke journalists were quite felt that they were very unlucky and so did Michael O'Neill. Town fans thought they played really well. There were lots of different sort of every possible interpretation of that game sort of came up in the aftermath. I think my view on it ultimately is I think Town had played the better in the first half but Stoke had the better chances and then in the second half it was the other way around where Stoke were probably playing the better team, but Town had all the big chances and and took them. We need to talk about Yuta Nakayama, I think. Um, Got his first goal for the club in his first league start. I mean, there's a a tick box, a a checklist of things that make him a cult hero, and I think we've touched on this already. But, you know, he's got that goal. He was in the stands taking pictures with fans, uh, you know, shortly after he signed in pre-season. Plays in that gum shield, so he's got a very distinctive look. He had that moment with Jacob Brown, which I absolutely loved, where Brown took him out on the touchline and got booked. And then literally as soon as play restarted, 
you went through <laughs> went through him uh took him out but also won the ball and didn't even concede a foul which i thought was a glorious moment he is a big cult hero already club uh club shop should have those gum shields in by christmas in my view but he's also a very good footballer by by all accounts you know by all the evidence that we we've seen so far and the run he made for that header was excellent someone on twitter described it as christopher schindler-esque that run and i think that's about right yeah it was a terrific header i mean his just his overall play completely deserved that goal it was interesting how putting him on the out ball he's got a very different shape on his passing it's not that sort of booming out ball to the wing for that the first thing the wing has got to do is try and control a ball dropping from sort of 50 yards from a million miles in the sky he can get that sort of really flat arc which is is interesting he's very good on the ball he's super aggressive um in a good way and yeah he's just got he like he ticks every sort of cult hero box there is doesn't he 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 just you can see by christmas it's going to be you to everything isn't it yeah yeah um he also turned down the man of the match award after the game because he said he thought every player deserved it and not him <laughs> and he's going to be and he's going to be at the world cup um later this year as well so yeah no uh really good to see him come in and do so well straight away you mentioned his role there the town system they went 343 which we were crying out for on the last podcast obviously and i think Schofield's realized that there's no need to reinvent the wheel at this point you know go back to a formula that worked but there were tweaks to it um they've they've switched they've they're sort of a mirror image of last year um with kane kessler hayden uh, playing almost a harry toffler role but on the right hand side and i'm stealing your point here dave so it's me vocalizing this but this is what you said to me um after the game and i think you're spot on so sorry for stealing your thunder there um that he's playing that harry toffler role on the right with tino andrin coming inside which is uh pretty much what they did on the left last year and they've on meanwhile on the left hand side where last year you had ollie turton playing a more sort of conservative version of a wing back you've now got ruffles doing that and Torba Thomas ahead of him to provide sort of the attacking width. He's playing as an out-and-out winger. And just every department town looked much more comfortable. Jack Rodoni was in central midfield as well. And when I dug out the touch map, which is in the five conclusions, which I uh, highly recommend you go and read, the his touch map is almost exactly what you would have expected from Lewis O'Brien last year. Rodoni, I thought, had a great game individually. He was involved in pretty much all of town's best attacking moves including the um the, the two the, the two goals in the second half it, you know on top of that Jonathan Hogg just looked infinitely more comfortable playing alongside a player who was a lot more mobile playing a genuine box to box role and i think Rudoni it probably isn't as good defensively as Lewis O'Brien. I think it's fair to say he works very, very hard. He was very up and down, uh, get, getting up and down the pitch really well, and he was putting himself about pressing really well. He's maybe not quite so good in the in the tackle or in the recoveries, but he awful, also offers a lot more in the final third than Lewis O'Brien did. So there's a a trade off there with him, but really, really promising showing from from him first of all. Yeah, I I think like. You can't really compare anyone to Lewis O'Brien because Lewis O'Brien no. was just a really unique footballer. But you look at what 
Rodono does definitely. And one of the reasons I think he stood out a mile yesterday and he did really well in the player ratings on the examiner um, was just that he, his first instinct is to pass forward. And not only is his first instinct to pass forward, it's it's to pass forward well. He mm-hmm. Like 91% pass accuracy yesterday. And I'm not denigrating Lewis when I say this, but Lewis was rarely up there um, because... He, he it was the final third really where where his game was not as sharp as as it was everywhere else on the pitch. Radona has not got that sort of just unbelievable engine that Lewis had, and he's not got that. He's not quite as quick either, I don't think. Um, you know, Lewis was just that that his speed over fifteen yards to get into a recovery position was just like unbelievable. But I think what Radona is. He's he's a lot earlier in his evolution as a footballer. You know, he's not yeah. he's not where Lewis O'Brien ended last season, and the signs are just really really positive. And I think, you know, since Aaron Moy, Town haven't had such a forward passing midfielder. So I think a lot of the reasons he stands out is just because of that, because he he is looking to constantly try and platform others. And what has impressed me right from his cameo as a sub. Um, on the opening night, he he just constantly wants the ball, constantly wants to be involved. He's constantly screaming and shouting, getting into space to to get that ball. And yeah, it, it's it's glimpses of the future. You know, again, he's not a completely rounded player, but it is promising to see a midfielder in there who can sit with Jonathan Hogg, or I would say John Russell might be able to come in and do that job as long as he's got Radona next to him as a runner. And it just gave them so much more balance. They look so much more comfortable with that sort of midfield where you've got one who can do the running of the other, but the other just covers that back four really, really well. And having a flank that you don't have to worry about, like they didn't with Harry Tuflo last season, again, it just... It's a bit of muscle memory, isn't it? I think for some, yeah. and it's just a, um, and it, they just look so much calmer, so much more settled, and yeah, there were there were moments to to be worried about. They're still a little bit fragile at the back, but you can see the genesis of what looks like a, a, a sort of plan for the first eleven going forward, which I think over the first three games, I think we would both argue that we've not been able to see. Yeah, I think we had enough there to see. You know, the predicted lineup I thought for this game was pretty easy before we knew um, Kessler Hayden was coming in and, and was eligible to play. But um, the predicted lineup was almost exactly what, what we saw here, and I think it had to be. You know, that those were the players that had actually shown some glimmers of, of what they could do, and the players that were dropped were the players that we'd said have, had been off their game for the most part. So. Uh, I feel a bit for Armani Edmonds-Green. A couple of people have asked me about him, asking where he was. Um, the feeling I get is that he he's not particularly done anything wrong. It's just that they wanted to get Kessler Hayden in. They wanted Ollie Turton to do that very specific role. I thought Turton was exceptional. Um, he, his defensive stats were, were remarkable, but he was still playing. But despite him playing a... Uh, basically, the overlapping centre back role that we've seen Sheffield United play under Chris Wilder, he he was getting up that right wing and basically playing as a as a full back off the ball. But yeah, I think you're right. They they looked a lot more settled. They look a lot more comfortable on the ball, um, in particular. And 
that there is a you know we've been saying for all we've we've sort of slated them particularly on the last podcast and the last set of conclusions after Preston we have we have kept saying there's a decent team here and I think all of the pieces that we'd seen came together in this game and mm. that was that was very gratifying to see I thought yeah yeah I think just a word on Turton though who he he played the role quite differently because he has played there before under Carlos mm-hmm. Corbin, but he wasn't given. I don't think he was given the responsibility that he was given yesterday, and he was, uh, he he was brilliant at times. You know, I thought for all we've played in Utanakiyama, I actually thought defensively, just defensively, Turton was by far the best of the back yeah. three, Agreed. and particularly that recovery run in the second half when that ball found its its way all the way through, and they were clean through, and he came from nowhere. I've not, I've not sort of. No, he's not noted for his pace, so it was the anticipation and the understanding of knowing where the danger was and coming across to get that that I thought was just really impressive. And I think when you've got Kessler Hayden on that side, who is so quick and so full of running, and you've got Turton behind, who seems quite happy with that brief, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I don't see why you would change that. I am Romani Edmonds Green biggest fan as you know, and as everybody who listens to this podcast knows, but I can completely understand the tactical reason for, for putting Turton there. I really can. Yeah, I mean, what what they want the centre-backs doing, and by this I mean the two wider centre-backs if it's a, a back three, not not Tom Lees who is doing, you know, there to play like Tom Lees. Um, although he didn't really play like Tom Lees yesterday. I thought he still looked a little bit off it, but, but never mind. Um, what they want those two other centre-backs doing is stepping out either into midfield if they're breaking the lines they break through through the midfield they want a center back to come out and and stop it early before they get to the box or if someone gets beaten out wide they want them going out to cover the the wide areas as well and i think because they are both players who can play at center back or at full back turton and nakayama are actually kind of perfect for that and I, I know that they've talked about wanting another centre-back because Matty Pearson's injured but I kind of look at that performance and look at the role that they want those centre-backs to play and I just think is it worth getting another instead of signing another centre-back get another left-back and then just let Utah play there because you know I think they I think they probably do see him more as a, as a left-back but I think he's so perfectly made for that interpretation of of the back three role that I'm not sure you're going to get someone who's going to be better at it and I feel like it's probably going to be easier to get a, a full back or a wing back um, more precisely who can do what they want on the left instead yeah well they, this is it I mean you've got to look at their defensive options if they go to a three and I mean there's no sense in them not playing a three at the moment no even if they switch the midfield about and go to I don't know a three five two or something like that. They need to keep that three. And as you said, Utilise Turton yesterday, who looked really good, and who I think I would go with. You've also got Romani Edmonds Green, who can come in and, and play on that right hand side. You've got Jonathan Hogg, who can come in and play in the middle, and Tom Lees, who can go out and play on the left, as we know from last season. They they do Ask have options Will there, you know, and Will Boyle, yeah, of course, who can come in and go on the left. They do have options there. So yeah, I do, I do think that. That's probably the way to look at it at this point because if another centre back comes in, you're just like, well, are they going to play? <laughs> so if you go and get a Premier League loan, that's all well and good, but you know, do we have another Mipo Odebeke who, who, after a couple of months of not playing, they get pulled back? You know, who's who knows really? I think going and getting a left back 
who perhaps can do a little bit of what Kessler Hayden does on the right, on the left. Yeah, that makes total sense. But I also think that, I think Josh Ruffles has had a rough time this season adapting, but he looked to me a lot more comfortable with that more, well, weirdly, yeah, more Ollie Turton role on the left yesterday with Thomas a lot higher. And I think Thomas on the left, I thought he did okay. I thought he did okay. He looked much more like... Sorber Thomas yesterday. Weirdly, it was it was Tino Andrian who was the one who uh, struggled a little bit yesterday. After he's been sort of the the brighter light, I think you know. Uh, I still think Thomas looks a little bit tired. You can't do anything about that though. Really, he's just had an enormous workload for eighteen months, hasn't he? Um, but yeah, you know, these are the, again. I don't think either of us are saying, "Oh, brilliant! They found the perfect solution. <laughs> they found the perfect way to play." But at least now we can talk about things like this. The way I actually rightly point out, you know, you you can see a future for the back three now. Whereas with the four, when they were struggling and they were coming under pressure constantly, and they had players who clearly weren't. There was no relationship there in a four, whereas in a three there is. Yeah, this is much better, isn't it? It is. And you mentioned Ruffles there. I I didn't think he was brilliant. Um, He was fine. I don't think he was brilliant. I think there are shades of Ollie Turton uh, from last season there, by which I mean... It took Ollie Turton. Remember, these are sort of slightly older players. They're not, you know, they're not old, but, you know, they're sort of 28, 29. Older players who have played... Well, Ruffles has got one previous championship appearance before he came to the club. The difference is that Turton had his rough patch last year. He wasn't he struggled a bit for the first three months. I've just checked it was twenty two games in before we started seeing him play consistently well. Ruffles just hasn't had that number of games and a lot of the games he did have last season, he was coming on for two minutes, five minutes. I'm sort of taking it on faith more than anything else, but I do feel like Ruffles may may just need that little bit of adaptation period where he needs a bit of time to to push through it, get used to the league, and then he'll be absolutely fine because his you know his stats in League One were really encouraging, and I think there are things that he's doing that are you know that, that show that he can play at this level, but I think he just needs a bit of time to get up to speed. Um, on which to, to to sorry go on. Well, the thing I was going to say is, I, yeah, I don't I don't think he did anything absolutely brilliant yesterday, but I think he looked he looked more comfortable than he has. Yeah. But I think you've got to understand that, that there's a lot of pressure down that side for town, and teams have been targeting. And Stoke tried yesterday. Josh Ruffles ended up having more touches than any other town player, so yeah. he was constantly involved, and he's got to get used to that and obviously they've identified that for a reason but I think you're exactly right I do see shades of of Ollie Turton start with with what Josh Ruffles is doing and yeah I've not given I've not given up on the Josh Ruffles project no I think I still think there's there's and a very effective player there but I think having the ability to switch between a Josh Ruffles and you know someone maybe closer in skill set to Kessler Hayden might be advantageous going forward but the, the argument is I suppose that you could switch Sorber back to his wing back position even if yeah. you, if you played him that side um which you'd have to there'd be some adaption there but um you know again they do have options but it may be an area they look to look to bring someone in no idea I was going to recommend the Josh Ruffles project as my musical recommendation at the end of the show good prog rock, prog rock band but um no I, 
just to circle back to a, a couple of points I wanted to make, and we touched on this last week actually when we talked about his performance against Birmingham and, and how quickly he sort of recognised the threat that Birmingham were posing. And Danny Schofield confirmed after the game, Jack Rodoni is learning so quickly. He said, you know, any, any instructions we give him, he's just taking it in so quick. And, you know, I think you have to remember he's a 21-year-old player who's just come in from, from League One. To For him to have had the start he had uh, already, uh, I think is is really, really exciting. And on Sorber as well, I, you know, I think he does look... He, he had his iffy moments um, against Stoke, for sure. Some of his final delivery wasn't what it needed to be, but you don't expect every ball into the box to be perfect. He'd be, you know, he'd be the world's best winger if every cross he made was absolutely bang on the money. Um, but I thought he put in a hell of a shift, actually, on that on that left-hand side. And by the way, while we're on Sorba Thomas, the, the uproar about his Instagram post is absolutely ridiculous. It's obvious what he meant. He just meant get behind the lads. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't don't worry about it. But if you do and and you're upset by that, I think maybe give your head a bit of a shake because he's just he's not having a go at anyone. It was just clumsy wording. <laughs> it's fine. Um but uh, but there it, we go. It was just footballer puts generic encouragement phrase on social media. That's all it was. Mm. It's not a yeah it wasn't an attack on anyone. It wasn't, it, like you say, it was maybe clumsy wording, but that's about it. But yeah, some of the reaction I've seen has been absolutely appalling. And I think a lot of the reaction to Tuesday night from from people mm-hmm. was kind of understandable because it was a pretty desperate performance. But at the same time, like it's still so early in the season. It's still so, like, we're not 20 games in, we're two league games and a League Cup game in before yesterday. So it does just feel at the moment and I, I hope this result if nothing else you know we keep saying it it wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch but I hope this result if nothing else just calms people down a bit and just puts a little bit of perspective back in place but the other thing I wanted to talk about Steve was the subs and subs that haven't mm-hmm. making an impact because Dwayne Holmes came on and he came on with a bit of a mission because the first two things he did were basically go straight through two people <laughs> and give two <laughs> fouls away but Anyone who saw him in pre-season, he was on a very similar mission in pre-season to, to be the highest man in that press, to be aggressive, to, to go and win win the ball as often as possible. And I thought he I thought he was really good when he came on. And like Dwayne may not like this, but you can see that as a future role, can't you? Come on twenty minutes to go in a tight game. I want you to come on and just be a ball of energy for us on the pitch. I thought he was exactly the right man for the occasion I think I don't know if Andrew might have had a little bit of a knock he looked like he was uh, favouring something a little bit before he went off but regardless I thought it was exactly the right change because Stoke I thought it was evident from pretty early on Town's high press was causing them problems like Hogan and Rodoni and, and Thomas and Ward were forcing them into quite a few sloppy bits of play that they only just got away with and if there's one player in that town squad that you want to put in it to just be an absolute pest and disrupt um, a team that's trying to build out from the back it's Dwayne Holmes and you know he almost got that goal by season on that that back pass um, he was you know f- f- just a, a couple of inches away from winning that challenge and and putting the ball past the keeper 
He then, the second goal, the Danny Ward goal, it was, uh, if anyone was watching on iFollow, you won't have seen it because <laughs> um, they were showing the replay of the the offside for the, the Stoke goal that they had disallowed. But um, it was good pressure from Rudoni on the left wing. It was a, a Stoke throw, I think. And they Rudoni immediately put them pressure under pressure on the, the wing. They played it back across the box because they were under pressure and Holmes just went, thank you very much, nipped in, grabbed the ball into the box, squares it across, Danny Ward, Good finish puts it the only place that it would go into the net, actually, when you look at it, because there's a couple of defenders sliding in and the keeper to beat as well. Um, and that is exactly what Dwayne Holmes is, is for. And then, do you know what? The, the third goal, when we watched it in the press room afterwards, we were watching on TV. And as you've remarked, Dave, when we saw the replay of the, the third goal, everyone laughed because it looked like Holmes was about five yards offside and then you actually i got home and i watched it again it's like no i think he's actually i think he is actually on it was just a really well-timed run and a really well-timed ball um and yeah uh he his first you know his his touch let him down a little bit on his way through otherwise i think he would have started it past the keeper um but brilliant run by jordan rhodes who'd played a big part in the build-up to that goal and he just sort of Gave Holmes a shout and Holmes very unselfishly just squared it for, for Rhodes to put in. And yeah, I, I thought that was credit to Dwayne Holmes for that, but also credit to Danny Schofield because not only has he, you know, nailed it with that substitution and I think the later substitutions as well, um, bringing on Rhodes, I thought bringing on Kamar, the temptation to bring on um, John Russell must have been there, but he went for Etienne Kamara, who despite his inexperienced was the right player for that job just to get on the ball hold onto the ball be defensively solid and, and keep things calm um and put will Boyle on late on as well who um had that slip don't hold that slip against him please it, it happens <laughs> um but um he also danny schofield you know we we absolutely slated him both on the podcast and in the conclusions last week and we stand by those criticisms because town really were dreadful and and you know he should have changed it sooner so i'm sort of you know i'm not giving him sort of all the credit in the world for this but i think you do need to credit him for going do you know what i've been trying to reinvent the wheel it's not been working let's go back to what worked last season something we know works and they've got the result because of it and you know maybe it was you know two games too late but uh, <laughs> as you commented to me how long did it take carlos corbrand to stop repeating errors when when they were evident to everyone it took him a hell of a lot longer um to a season you know, yeah a season to to you know you think of that second half of last season how many games did we keep going through saying stop trying to play out from the back stop you know you don't have the personnel for this all the same things were said about Schofield and it took Carlos Corbran about three times as long to go oh all right we'll play a we'll play pragmatic um so yeah and and I'm delighted for Danny Schofield as well because you know he admitted he admitted he's found it quite difficult he's found the media scrutiny quite difficult which it is I I I really feel for I I was talking to a friend the other day who doesn't really know football very well and like I said to her like oh he's like he's not been very good at his job and so to be good at my job I have to be mean to him (laughs) and and you do sort of feel bad because he's a lovely guy and you want him to do well um but you know so I can completely understand feeling the pressure in your first head coach job and he wears his heart on his sleeve 
every manager feels that, but not everyone sort of is open enough to come out and say it. And the difference between his demeanour on Friday morning and Saturday afternoon, you know, he said it was up there with the birth of his kids, um, the feeling of winning his first game as head coach. And I think everyone who watches Huddersfield Town will be desperate for him to do well because he's so well-liked and, and a very likeable man. Mm. It's, I think these emotional swings, you know, it's the difference between having somebody who cares about the club and somebody who's just passing through. So, you know, when things are bad, Danny Schofield is going to feel it like a lot of fans do. You know, he's, he's pragmatic enough and level-headed enough to not go quite as far down that road, but... It, it hurts him in a way that if you just went and got, I don't know, whoever to come and do that role, it would be a different thing. And I think what's interesting is that he's he's gone back to a lot of things that town players and that squad know works because they had a whole season's worth of evidence last year to, to prove to themselves that it worked. But he's also still got a few of his own touches and adjustments in there. And yeah, you know, it's it's... They've got a very tough game coming up at Norwich who, as we were saying off there, Steve, they, they're they bottom of the league, but there is a team there and at some point they're going to click and when they click, they'll be OK, mm. they'll be absolutely fine. You just want a little bit of momentum to carry on and even if it's not via result, via performance, you know, go out there and if you lose 2-1, but you've played really, really well, you know, fine, let's just yeah. move on and, <laughs> and just we're, let's just get to other games. But there is a chance there because, as I said, Norwich just aren't very good at the moment, so it's, it is a good time to play them. But there's, there's going to be, you know, I don't know if there's going to be another night like the League Cup, but there are probably going to be other nights like losing to Birmingham 2-1 yeah, yeah. before, you know, before the end of this season. But there will also hopefully be a lot more days where there are beating Stoke 3-1. Um, it is just going to be, I think, a little bit up and down this season. But that's the way it is. I, I think the thing it, I think the thing yesterday confirmed to me is that by rights, Town should not be in trouble this season. They should be in, you know, sort of mid table to upper mid table if they perform to their their ability. And yeah, it it was just nice to see a little bit of the future for me. Um, and and yeah, it was just. We were very, very down ourselves after that League Cup game because <laughs> doing the press conference after was quite tough, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, it's, was, it's, you have to you have to ask those questions, but it, you don't relish doing it, you know. So yeah, no. it's always much nicer when it's a win and everyone's happy and smiling and the vibe and the people that you're talking to and working with every day are, are feeling happy as well. Yeah. So yeah, all good, really, all good, much better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there's there's areas they need to improve. Where do you, where do you see that? I think it. They're still all three, all four sides they've played have have created through the middle way mm. too easily. So, I I don't want to point out individuals, but I think it's quite clear that Tom Lees at the moment is not in the form he was last season. So they need they need Tom Lees to get back to his best. There, I think. Although there were a couple of moments, I thought the goal they conceded yesterday, Lee's just, uh, at his best, he just doesn't take that sort of weird heavy touch out into the middle there. And yeah, so. And, I, I and he they, makes the block as well, I think. 
when he's old form. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's an issue, and I think partly that's down to getting that midfield equation solved in front of them, which I think they've gone sort of maybe two-thirds of the way to doing, so that little bit of cover will help. I think they need to keep being as clinical as they are because that's yeah. two goals apiece for each striker, isn't it? Um, and they've got to... Taking the chances when they come is, is absolutely key, and it was it was the thing that I think we did criticise Carlos Corbran's side for, that they just didn't... Every chance felt absolutely massive because they just didn't create enough of them. So, yeah, being clinical, but also just creating a bit more. Um, yesterday it was interesting that, that like Sorba put in, I think, 13 crosses, which is, is more than I think Town have had combined in their games this season to date. So there's a little bit more intent there, but it just all needs just to come together with a little bit of time and, you know, those relationships to form. Rodona looks really, really promising, but he's he's only played a handful of minutes with these players and done a bit in training. You know, you need... 15 games don't you Steve 15 20 mm-hmm. games to get those relationships sorted and formed and all that sort of thing so yeah they, there are areas that they need to have a look at you know they want to find a way to get Sorba Thomas working really well Tino Andrin on the other side doing everything we know that Tino Andrin would can and being fed by Radona that's a very you know that looks on paper a very creative very exciting little triumvirate there so yeah, it, it, as I said, it's nowhere near perfect, but it there is light at the end of the tunnel now, which there wasn't on <laughs> on Wednesday morning. <coughs> yeah, um, yeah. So plenty to take away there, and we wanted to do this podcast now because you know, while last week we looked at the fixtures and thought, let's see what happens against Preston, because either they're going to be better, and we can talk mm. about that, or they're going to be worse, and we'll we'll need to talk about that. I think this time we just wanted, while we've, you know, this is the first time we've seen so many positives, I think we wanted to make sure that we gave it the proper coverage it deserved. Um, So I'm not sure if we're going to be doing the next one after Norwich or if we'll do it uh, after the Coventry game, if indeed the Coventry game is is going ahead, um, because that's in doubt at the moment because of the state of their pitch. So we genuinely, I don't have any update on that at the moment. We're just waiting for further updates as we record this uh, to see what's going to happen with that Coventry game. So worth keeping an eye out for that. And um, and while we're off, Dave, you can uh, go and practice saying Rudoni in front of the mirror rather than Rudona. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't get my head around it. I can't get my head around it. It is. Rudy. Rudy. <laughs> Rudy. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Magic. Uh, musical recommendation, please. Uh, is it the specials? Uh, it's, well, <laughs> we had a very long WhatsApp conversation on Friday night about what a magnificent year 1994 was for music. But it was started by the album that I've listened to, I think, three times since all the way through, which is uh, Music for the Jilted Generation by The Prodigy, which is... It's absolutely disgusting that that's 28 years old and it's 28 years since I was stood in Michael Ramsden's garage doing The Running Man. Yeah, one of those instances where we're on the same page, which isn't too common. Uh, in my very brief clubbing days, went back when I was 17, 18, always enjoyed a bit of Prodigy. Uh, what have I been listening to? Do you know what? I've recently been getting into Torres, who is a bit of a throwback to sort of, you know, that sort of slightly post grunge period uh, around sort of 92 93 where you had your, your sonic youth and and bands like that she's she's a little bit along those lines pj harvey maybe yeah i think she's uh, she's got a few albums she's been going for a while now um so check torres out 
Right, Dave, thanks for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. We'll be back with you next time, whenever that may be. Goodbye. Who's